Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hi there. Welcome to The Hash. May the 4th be with you. We are here to talk about crypto news, not Star Wars stuff. I'm Zach Seward. I'm joined today by George Kaloudis, Jen Sanasi, and Will Foxley. We're going to get this thing going, starting with Jen. What is up? Okay, so it's May the 4th, so I think it's like only fitting we talk about the meme king himself, Elon Musk. So he changed his profile picture to a collage of Bored Ape NFTs that was made for the Sotheby's 101 Bored Apes auction last year, and Twitter is divided. So some people think that Elon is trolling NFT owners, and others think that he's teasing his entrance into the NFT space. Michael Buhana, who is the co-head of digital art at Sotheby's, tweeted, as much as I admire your work, I'd like you to remove your PFP that I created for our Sotheby's sale, or you credit me, happy to send you the original file minted with the buyer approval. George, I'm going to toss it to you first. What do you think Elon is up to? Uh, I don't think it should be divided at all. Elon is clearly sort of making fun of NFTs here in JPEG NFTs. He said, oh, these seem pretty fungible to me in a, in a later tweet. So every time I think I get it, I don't. I think he's just making fun of the board Ape thing and he's making fun of PFPs. That's the short of it. I don't know why anyone would think that this is bullish at all. Zach? I think fun is the operative word there. I think Elon Musk <laughs> is having fun basking in the yeah. limelight of all us dorks speculating about what it all means for crypto <laughs> and Twitter. And for him to extend his rampage of fun to the world of NFTs seems pretty par for the course. So I'm going to go with it's a fun little lighthearted troll. It is interesting to see price activity on stuff like this, but so, such as crypto. Um, so that part is funny that people could be standing to make uh, millions or lose millions uh, on you know just the whims of whatever the latest Elon tweet is. But hey, have fun, man. He's out there having fun. He's having fun staying rich. We're having fun staying poor. And we're here talking <laughs> about it. So yeah, do you, Elon. Ne whatever is next, I'm sure it will also be exciting and potentially interesting and potentially market moving. Who knows? Jen, tossing it to you. So I have a theory 
Maybe Elon is over the Twitter NFT profile pick feature and he's going to scrap it. This is based on absolutely no fact, just pure speculation. When he said seems kind of fungible, it just reminded me of this problem that a lot of people are talking about with the Twitter display picks. If I right click and save any JPEG of an NFT, I can mint that as a new NFT, put that in my Twitter profile pick, and then I get the hexagon. So maybe Elon is working on solving that problem. I don't know. That's my theory. Will, what do you think? Now, this guy just keeps playing crypto Twitter like a fiddle. <laughs> like, let's go back through the books. What happened with Dogecoin a year ago, April 2021? He sank the entire market. He destroyed the entire Bitcoin market. Bitcoin collapsed from highs to the yearly lows with a series of tweets. And we have the same thing here. He is just making fun of the NFT market. He's just doing the right click save thing and boom, now everyone's just gonna laugh at these guys. And you see it in the price action. I think this is my favorite part about it. Look at that chart. Everyone looks at it and they're like, oh, Elon bought, he bought my ape. And then the price goes up on all these tokens. And then like 30 seconds later, they're like, oh wait, he just right click save. And then everybody <laughs> sold off really quickly. Like that's the story of what you're seeing here is just him continuing to play everybody, which is also just like kind of sad, right? This is, this is not what Bitcoin's supposed to be about. Bitcoin is not supposed to be about Elon Musk, who has made a fortune using government subsidies to create a lot of his projects. Like he's a huge entrepreneur. He should get a pat on the back for that. But a lot of what he's been able to do has been a leverage play on government money. And Bitcoiners can't seem to get away from it. And all the crypto ecosystem still getting played by him. I love this story. I think it's hilarious. I hope this continues to happen. <laughs> I also think, Jen, to your point, like he does not like these PFP things. He said mm -hmm. in the article, in the Coindesk article, you can read about it right there. He says, I don't like these things. I think they're annoying. I think he's going to get rid of it. I think you're going to see some differences and changes come to Twitter. And this will be one of them because he's had enough of the board apes. Zach, I'll give it to you for last take on the story though. I can't top that, man. That was great. I mean, that is great. He is the ringmaster of the attention economy at this point in time. No one is replacing him. Who's going to replace Elon as the ringmaster of the attention economy specifically on twitter.com i don't know we'll have to wait we'll have to wait and see who's going to come come for the king all right let's change gears let's go to the world of DeFi. let's talk about terra terra is about to extend its ust stablecoin onto a polygon based DeFi platform called sin futures now ust has been surging in market value it is growing in might it is definitely among the top five stable coins by market cap right now uh, not sure the exact ranking, but it's certainly growing in stature as we speak. So UST, everybody wants a slice of UST. If it's on Polygon, this is an example of that. If it's replicating what USD does on other blockchains with NIR and its USN, I believe Tron is also rolling out something similar to UST. UST is the hot stablecoin of the moment. It is an algorithmic stablecoin. It is far different from the uh, asset-backed stablecoins that are the current market leaders, USDT and USDC. But this speaks to the popularity of bringing in this dream of a decentralized stablecoin that escapes some of the censorship risk of the asset-backed ones and still doesn't fail catastrophically. Time will tell if both those things can be had. Some people doubt it. Some people say it works. But right now, everyone is trying to either get a slice of UST on their network of choice or build something similar to USDT that is native to their network. And that is another example here of that narrative unfolding. I'm going to toss this to George for his take on the UST story. Yeah. Uh, so I just can't keep up with this cross-chain, multi-chain stuff, you know, curve pools, 
I don't even know what these memes mean anymore, but Sarah's no doubt trying to make things happen. But I have a question for you all. So the news story talked about Sin Futures, right? And that's just who they're partnering with. Is Sin Futures one of these decentralized futures platforms that are geolocked so that we can't use them in the United States? Because it feels like it is one of those. So I just want to make sure the SEC is protecting me. Is that happening here? George, I believe you are protected. Mm. I believe the SEC protectors are on your side with this one. So you can sleep, you can sleep well at night. That's great. Thanks, guys. I, I, but I just don't really understand what's going on here. Can someone explain to me what this story is, uh, Will? So Zach's going to do a better job of explaining the story to you, but I do want to ask a few more questions. So I'm going to piggyback onto your general question. Terra is really interesting because of all the Bitcoin they've been buying behind the scene. Well, not really behind the scenes, but pretty public, honestly, like much more public than a lot of people are comfortable with. But they've been buying a lot of Bitcoin to back up their stable coin. And then a lot of Bitcoiners have been like, oh, this is great for Bitcoin because it pumps the price. But it's also catastrophic for Bitcoin because if there's a margin call on this and they have to sell all this Bitcoin off and the stable coin collapses, that's a huge problem for the Bitcoin ecosystem. But you continue to see Terra start working with other teams. They're sort of like putting their fingers into every pie and, and growing it out. And there's always been like this worry that these DeFi protocols can cause what's known as contagion. Contagions happens in wider finance markets. See something like the Ukrainian Russo conflict right now. That was an instance of contagion where you see like really weird disparate markets like wheat futures or oil and gas markets. Those things start to collapse because of one isolated crisis. Here we're seeing like the possibility of a similar thing, right? Terra is putting its fingers in so many different pies. You know, I don't even know what this Sin Futures thing was like 10 minutes ago. Now we're talking about it. They have the Bitcoin buys. They have the stable coin. Zach, what does this look like for this protocol going forward? Like, can they continue to invest in all these things? And, and how does it function on the back end? So functionally on Sin Futures, basically what it amounts to is just a different trading pair, right? There's existing trading pairs that have more big name stable coins. And UST has graduated into that limited set of trading pairs that you can use on this particular platform. The big picture here is the stuff that I think is more interesting. Terra as an ecosystem is building bridges to various other ecosystems. We saw, I think it was Avalanche and Terra linked up on a pretty big deal not too long ago. Obviously, Terra was a big story in the Bitcoin community for a while now. So what we have here, I think from a bigger perspective is interesting bridge building, not technical bridges here, cultural bridges between these various communities. And I think Terra is sort of capably and nimbly inserting itself into some of these other ecosystems in a way that is interesting. You know, Terra is able to do that. And I think we're going to see more of that over time, whether it's with Sin Futures, other DeFi platforms or other blockchain networks entirely. UST, I keep saying USDT, that's Tether, sorry. UST, that seems to be a rising star in the stablecoin sector. And that's something that people want access to. So I think it comes down to that. But I don't know if that answered your question. Back to you, Will. I think that did answer my question for the most part. Like I'm really speculative about all these things. I think that Bitcoin needs to tie itself into some of these markets and these markets also need to tie themselves into Bitcoin. It's probably like the latter needs to happen more than anything else. So the Terra's play made sense in a lot of ways. It makes a lot of sense for them to, uh, to, to incorporate all Bitcoin's liquidity and get all that price protection. It also makes sense for them to like team up with Bitcoin in order to take out all the other smart contract platforms itself. But this story little bit out there on the terms of bleeding edge DeFi story. So it's a pretty interesting one. So let's talk about mining disclosure. I do work at a mining company covering a lot of this information. So take everything I say with a little bit of salt here. 
Marathon came in with lower numbers than expected. Marathon Digital is one of the largest miners in the North American space. They're huge on the stock market. They have a lot of hash rate under management, which is basically like how much Bitcoin they can mine per year. And they're frequently within headlines, whether it be Coindesk, Bloomberg, or elsewhere. Uh, this month, we saw they put out some new figures showing that they actually had a dip in Bitcoin production by about 31% uh, over month over month, rather. And that did not line up with some of the other production figures we saw from different public miners who basically continued steady along with like their previous production levels. So why does this matter? Well, if you're looking at the bigger Bitcoin narrative, we saw a few things pop out in 2021. Obviously, Bitcoin's price was a big thing. Obviously, people putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet for their corporations is huge. The El Salvador story was something. Another big storyline that a lot of people probably have not looked at is these public mining firms going public last year. Like They were all private. They went public. About 20 of them went public. And they are basically able to leverage all public money, all this capital and finance money that's on Wall Street to increase their production and size the companies. Now we're looking into a possible bearish scenario. Fed is increasing rates. Money is getting a little tighter. There's even talk of like lowering the Fed's uh, assets under management. And that plays into a lot of people's fears about where the stock market is going. And that is therefore going to push these public miners who are really leveraging these capital markets to grow. Uh, so I'm expecting to see actually a lot of pain from public mining companies. We've seen that in the first quarter where a lot of these public mining companies bled out. Their stock prices underperformed Bitcoin quite a bit. We're talking like double digit percentages. I think that could happen going to the rest of this year, even though on paper, a lot of these firms are actually doing quite well. They're, they're adding more Bitcoin mining machines to racks. They're mining more Bitcoin, but they just are exposed to public markets. So it gets a little bit tough out there. George, can I throw it up to you for your take? Yeah, the public markets angle to this is actually really important. I'm glad you brought that up. Startups tend to not go public for many reasons, but one of the reasons is that you don't have to say every quarter how much cash we have on our balance sheet, this is how much money we made each quarter or whatever. And you know the trials and tribulations that a startup has kind of get swept under the rug and it's like a 10-year process of you know becoming a big, good company. For better or worse, these mining companies are sort of like startups in a way, and they're really new companies. And I, I look at all these mining companies and I think, how financially solvent are these public mining companies really? Like how much cash, how much runway do they have on their balance sheet? It's a little bit finicky right now. And there are all these, you know, supply chain issues, sourcing issues, your Bitcoin's price issue. I, I think there was, I might be saying something wrong here, but hash price issues. Uh, it's really interesting to me too, that Marathon is continuing to hold while Riot, another competitor of theirs, announced that they sold Bitcoin. So I think there's a there's it's a tough business being a miner in general and these companies being public right now just doesn't do them justice i think i think it would have probably been better for them to stay private i tend to think most companies should stay private anyway but that's just me but earlier i saw jen's hand and i want to see if she has anything to say here yeah i have a question for you will on george's favorite topic so i know that marathon digital when they moved to montana it was to achieve 100 percent carbon neutrality right and then this report says that their production was down 30% in April. And so maybe I've drawn a parallel where there is no parallel to be drawn. But is this a trade-off we're going to see as mining companies start to focus more on climate concerns? Are we going to see production drop? No, that's actually a really, really great point. So what we saw here with Marathon is they had a coal plant in Montana that they were using to mine Bitcoin with. They basically like resurrected it from the dead employed a bunch of people, 
put some machines on a rack and started sputtering along mining Bitcoin. And that pissed off a lot of ESG investors who were like, hey, we're not going to invest in you because you're using coal to mine Bitcoin. That's a bad public image. And to George's point, like if you choose to go along that route as a public company, you have to disclose a lot of these things. You need to disclose where your energy sources are oftentimes just because investors are curious about this stuff. Like the SEC is asking for information more so about your finances, but investors want to know where your energy sources are coming from. They want to know who your labor is. They want to know what local jurisdictions you're operating in. And that is bad for your stock price if you're not acting favorably. So what we saw Marathon do is announced last month that they're moving away from this coal plant. They're moving machines down to Texas. Obviously, when you move machines, they're not online, they're offline, and you lose out on Bitcoin. So I think what we'll see is actually this will continue to happen, especially if we see what's happening in New York right now with this mining moratorium that might go into play. A lot of these public companies are going to have to face more headwinds with delays because ESG investors are not, they, they don't care. They don't care about like your production and whatnot. They want to see they're using green energy. And that's just the bottom line for a lot of them. Uh, Zach, I'll give it to you for last take on this though. Yeah, I mean, last take on these, I, I do wonder if, you know, there's going to be like the end of the product market fit of Bitcoin mining stocks being a way for traditional investors to access a little bit of the price upside of Bitcoin, right? Like typically these have been like Bitcoin proxy stocks, you know, in lieu of a true spot Bitcoin ETF existing in the US market. People are trying to find ways that are like similar, like crypto light without having to deal with the crypto stuff. And I'm curious to see like how these age. I think there was this rush to get to the public markets last year because there were so few options for traditional investors to do that outside of, you know, Coinbase back in April of 2021. So some of these people went public during a bull run said, hey, we can, we can access the public markets in a way that's going to be beneficial to us in the long term. I wonder if that thesis of that value proposition will fade over time as other products hit the markets and more people will become comfortable just holding Bitcoin itself. So to me, that's sort of like the big picture thing that I like to keep track of here. But it is interesting to see all these people fighting in the, uh, in the court of public opinion, especially with ESG investors who uh, aren't native to the crypto space. So Interesting one to watch, but let's change gears. We'll stay in Bitcoin and we will toss to George. And let's stay in public markets too while we're at it. So MicroStrategy, mm -hmm. the business intelligence software company with a proclivity to buy and hoard Bitcoins, had their earnings call yesterday. And there were two pieces of big news that were announced. One is a super boring accounting thing. And the other is a less boring accounting thing. The boring accounting thing is that MicroStrategy took a non-cash digital asset impairment charge of $170 million in the first quarter since the price of Bitcoin had declined. Basically, MicroStrategy was forced to incur an expense because the price of Bitcoin they held went down. Fine, that's an accounting rule, but the rule is because of reasons. And because of those reasons, MicroStrategy is unable to incur revenue if the price of Bitcoin were to increase. And we can have a conversation here about how financial statements can lie to us without context. Are MicroStrategy missing their earnings by 800%? Could not have even been an 800% beat if Bitcoin's price increased because accounting rules only allow MicroStrategy to recognize gains on Bitcoin if they sell, which if we know MicroStrategy's CEO, Michael Saylor, very well, and he will never do that. The other accounting thing was the announcement of a new CFO who has experience at Goldman Sachs-owned GreenSky, which is kind of legit if you ask me, so I think that's a good thing. Uh, but before I throw it to the group for thoughts, I want to highlight one thing that I hope we can chat about just a little bit. So MicroStrategy holds 129,000 Bitcoins. That's worth about $5 billion. If you look at the stock price of MicroStrategy and calculate what the market capitalization is, what the public markets think MicroStrategy is worth, they only think it's worth $3.7 billion. 
So apparently MicroStrategy's core business is worth negative dollars. And that's the only explanation here. Anyway, anyone have thoughts on any of that? Uh, something different from the headlines here that I saw, and I only saw this like really quickly on Twitter, so correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that they're now looking at lending out this Bitcoin that they have on their balance sheet in some sort of way so they can get interest on top of it. Obviously, MicroStrategy has like their business lineup. They have this Bitcoin stash, which has formed really, really well for them, like the cost basis compared to like where their Bitcoin is sitting at right now. The nice little gain there for Michael Saylor, like a nice pat on his back for for doing that. I think like I've seen a few tweets and a few thoughts from people saying like, this could be one of the best financial trades of all time if Bitcoin really does do what people are thinking it's going to do. But right now, the question is like, can they keep going along? And they're looking at lending and getting interest on top of their coins in order to, to make the situation a little bit more merry. Because they have taken like a very aggressive step in accessing public markets in order to get more Bitcoin. And I think even in this call, George, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was even talks for the first time of what a margin call would look like for MicroStrategy if Bitcoin's price dropped enough. So to me, I'm looking at MicroStrategy and thinking like, you guys made a really ballsy play. If Bitcoin keeps going up, you guys are heroes. But right now, you have to keep the ship sailing. Otherwise, it doesn't matter where you get. You guys are going to be shipwrecked. Zach, I'll throw it up to you and get your take. Sailing with a Y. See what you did there, Will. <laughs> yeah, well, that's pretty good. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. That was good. Yeah. So the margin call level that was reported was around $21,000, the price of Bitcoin. So they would have to like kind of re-up their position at that point. And then I think, you know, I'm going to toss this one to George because he's smarter about this stuff than I am. But what would happen? Like, what would that mean? You know, I don't, I don't know if Bitcoin is going to tank that low. It's been a while since it's been that low. It's not out of the realm of possibility. But if that were to come to pass and we see Bitcoin at 21K, what does that mean for MicroStrategy at that point? Yeah, I'm supposed to be a permable, but there is a world where Bitcoin does go to $21,000. Boo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but there is a world where that happens. But given the way... MicroStrategy has structured their debt instruments in order to buy Bitcoin. They've only collateralized a portion of their Bitcoin. And what they do with that is it's what's called loan to value, right? So you have a certain loan and it's worth a certain amount of money and you have to put up a certain amount of Bitcoin. And if you get to a point where the amount of Bitcoin is or the value of Bitcoin is too low and the loan is in excess, I think it was 50% of the loan is worth from 20%. You can cure that loan, that margin call, by just putting more Bitcoin up or putting cash up. So realistically, that's what they would do if you know the price fell. They could just take some of their macro strategy Bitcoin, which is where they hold their, their mm. Bitcoin, and put it uh, to work and re-collateralize and redo the loan. So it'd be more of a technical default rather than an actual default where they have to just sell the entire company. Uh, I saw two hands come up, so I don't know if I did a bad job explaining it, or if you guys want to add anything. I just have a quick question for you, George. How do you think shareholders are going to react to this? I took a look at the micro strategy share price this morning, and it seems to be on a bit of a steady decline. And we talk about that debt this morning. I was reading it's in the billions of dollars of debt to buy all of this Bitcoin. Bitcoin is extremely volatile. What do you think we're going to see shareholders do in the midterm? Yeah, I just think investors are treating MicroStrategy like a Bitcoin ETF when that feels just a little bit wrong. I'm not saying that MicroStrategy is a great tech company, but they do throw off cash flow on their on their tech business and it's not really growing quickly, but it's still a business. But for, I mean, lack of other options, like Zach talked about, people are treating MicroStrategy like a Bitcoin ETF. So 
as the price of Bitcoin goes down, so does MicroStrategy's stock. And that's going to be the case, I think, for the medium term. All right. Well, we'll be around for that. We'll see how it's going in the medium term. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll update. We'll update you. But that's for another show. That's for another day. It's not going to be the May the 4th show. But that was the May the 4th show. We'll leave it there. That was the Finney's birthday. Finney's birthday. Nice. Happy birthday, Very Satoshi. Nice. There you go. Ooh, ooh, nice Satoshi call. All right, I'm Zach. We got George. We got Jen. We got Will. We're the hash. We got lots to say. There's five weeks until consensus in Austin, Texas. You guys better start thinking about that. It's going to be a big deal. Look at that. It's going to be the festival to rule them all. The gathering of the crypto tribes in lovely Austin, Texas, where we will do our best to keep things weird. That's that. Also, check us out on the podcast. Podcast Network. It's going strong. The hash for your ears. Don't have to watch. You can just listen. Sounds good. Cut smooth. Good stuff over there. Shout out to the podcast producers. You're doing great. All right, that's it for today. We're The Hash. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. 